Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Susan Bida, co-founder of eCareDiary.com and your host for today's show. Today we are talking about living alone and what to do when you have no one to care for you. Uh, I am so pleased to introduce Sheila Warnock as our guest. Uh, she is the author. She's the author of um, a book that I'll mention in a short while, and uh, and she's a three-time caregiver. In two thousand three, Sheila abandoned advertising to start a nonprofit organization called Share the Caregiving. Uh, the purpose of this organization is to reach, empower, and educate people on how and why we need to help caregivers and their loved ones. She is one of the pioneers of the widely used grassroots caregiving model called Share the Care. And the book of the same name was first published in 1995 and is now considered a classic. Everywhere you go, whatever conference you're at, you'll you'll always see, um, I've always seen uh, Share the Care books around. um, And her website is sharethecare.org. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Susan, for inviting me. So happy to uh, have this opportunity to talk to your audience. Yes, and, and you know, you and I have uh, been talking about this um, this subject matter, about living alone and what to do when you have uh, no children or spouse or uh, siblings who could potentially care for you, um, you know, as you age. And um, I can't tell you how you know, many phone calls I've gotten from friends or family members who know someone who doesn't have children to help them, you know, through um, through whatever disease they're going through and, and they're really pretty completely on their own and, and living sometimes in another state. So uh, what a great topic to discuss with you. Now, let me ask you, uh, why do you think living alone would be a choice that many seniors either have to opt to or choose willingly in recent times? Well, I think, I think it depends. Uh, a lot of people choose to live alone because, you know, our society is very, you know, independence-driven. So people like to make up their own minds about what they want to do and how they want to live and uh, you know, pursue their goals or or solitude can actually be very restorative. So it depends on the person. But also there are another group of people who don't necessarily choose to live alone, but they find themselves in that circumstance because they're divorced or separated or they may be a widow or a widower. And oftentimes their children have moved far away or they don't have children or, you know, also a lot of their friends uh, decide to retire in Florida or somewhere, you know. So sometimes their uh, networks from from many years earlier disappear. So this yeah. can be an issue. And it's certainly something we, we see, for sure, uh, especially with a lot of um, seniors living in, in Florida, too. Uh, so... Uh, Many think or many assume that hiring help uh, to handle the the caregiving needs of a senior living alone is is enough. But uh, you have you have different thoughts about that. Well, I mean, if you have uh, a lot of money put away to take care of 
you know, your needs when you're older and you can hire a professional person to take care of you, that's really nice. I mean, that's great. But uh, most people today, I wouldn't say, are in that position. Um, So it behooves us to think about what we would do. Also, the other point about share the care and having, having friends help you is that a nurse's aide can only do so much. You know, they're not allowed to go beyond the parameters of what their jobs are. And you don't want to be isolated from any networks you do have. So people who are in your life could still be part of the care process and, you know, help you just stay socially active, you know, and entertained. You don't want to suddenly be locked up in your apartment with a nurse's aide. You know, Susan, I remember back to uh, when my co-author, my late co-author, Cappy, was ill. Uh, She became totally helpless. She had brain surgery and she couldn't speak, she couldn't write, she couldn't walk, she couldn't move without the help of, of... someone. We had a live-in aide with her who was wonderful, but there were also a whole team of her friends that kept the rest of her life running doing things like managing her checking account, making sure her medical bills got handled and went to the right place. Uh, A few people took care of a rental property she had so her income didn't stop. We also kept a lot of her creative projects because we were her friends. When she was trying to communicate without using her voice, we could understand her to the best because we knew her. And, you know, we entertained her. We meditated with her. We went way above and beyond the call of duty that any hired person would do. And I also want to point out here that a share the care team works beautifully with the health professionals because we're all on the same team helping the person in need. So, um, well, let, let me ask you this then. So, you know, maybe there are a number of people in the audience who are living alone now and they're not necessarily... Um, in a position where they're suffering from uh, a long-term illness or a disease of some sort. But um, what do you think uh, are the things that they should be thinking about? I mean, should something happen to them? And, and let's say, I mean, uh, maybe they're shy and, and I mean, how do, how do they overcome and how do they start this team if they don't really, they, they're not able to really identify who can, you know, kind of pitch in? Well, uh, first things first, I think, I think the subject of, of getting prepared in case of an emergency is really crucial. And uh, if, if I may, I, I just want to talk about that for a minute because it's a subject that people yeah. say, oh, well, I don't really want to go there. I don't want to think about that. But, you know, yeah. I, I have a friend who told me about, someone she knows very well who lives alone and she was in her early 70s and they found her on the floor after some time. Nobody knows exactly how long she was in that state. 
and she was taken to the hospital, she was in a coma. And it created all kinds of problems because there was a friend who does have power of attorney, but he doesn't know where it is. He can't get into her apartment without a power of attorney to get, you know, into certain paperwork that might be needed. He he did fortunately have her health care proxy and a living will, but there are all kinds of legal issues that pop up about what someone else can do for you unless the proper paperwork is handled in advance and given to someone. That's why I'm kind of on this crusade right now of, and I think this applies to every one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are, to be prepared in case of an emergency. Like, where would the EMS find information on who to call, who your doctors are, what your health conditions are, what your current medications are, what allergies you might have, your medical insurance, and where your important paperwork is. If we all sat down and thought about this and started creating, you know, some paperwork to be kept in a folder or to be, um, you know, something on the refrigerator that says go to the top drawer and see the red folder, somebody would know where to find this information in one place. And also maybe, uh, maybe some of your listeners have had this experience, but if you ever had a close relative passed away and you, you had to come in to try to figure out the papers and the bills and how do you cancel this or call that, it can be a nightmare. Yeah. And as life gets more complicated, uh, you know, we all must have 100 passwords. We should have those somewhere. Uh, and the other thing, quickly I'll say, what about pets? You know, who's, who's going to take care of the pet should something happen to you? Because pets are like your family. Right. Well, these are, are, I mean, thank you so much for um, talking about preparation because I think uh, many of us, um, you know, don't want to think about it. And I think, uh, and I, you know, I, I think one of our de- mutual dear friends, uh, he always talks about the fact that he has a folder near the front door of um, his place uh, where should, you know, God forbid anything happen, it's all there. So I think that's a great piece of advice, which is to kind of organize all your documents in, a, in one place and, and a folder and, and uh, make it uh, possible for someone to find it should, you know, something, an emergency happen to you while you're alone. Um, now, one way to start that is, you know, if people go to our website for Share the Care we have 23 share the care forms that are used by a group to take care of somebody and to organize themselves. And some of those documents could be used for this particular exercise. You know, where the location of such and such a document is, key information, just writing down, you know, your health history or your medication. You could use those forms as a starting point for this process. 
And, That's right. Um, and, and let me just remind the audience that um, Sheila's website is sharethecare.org, and these forms are free and easy to access. Right, also, Sheila? yeah, there, yeah, you can download them from the site. Uh, they're, you know, PDFs, so you can fill them out online, or you can, or you can download them and just fill them in with pencil in case you have to change something at a later date. I mean, you'll figure it out. But the ideas in them are a good starting point. The other thing is getting our wills and our medical proxies and our, you know, uh, living will, healthcare proxy, power of attorney, those things. And I'm not going to tell you how to do them, and that's something that one should consult an attorney about, especially uh, if you're older. An elder elder care law attorney would be the right person to talk to, and if you have assets, things like that. But remember, if you have such a folder, you want to tell a few people in your life who are close to you about that folder and where they can find it because they may be one of the people that is called. Yeah. So, Sheila, um, let, let's, let's talk about, like, how uh, someone can get started. Like, in, you know, um, how, how does someone get started evaluating? When, when should a person start thinking about care options for themselves? Well, as, as you well know, Susan, Caregiving, caregiving touches everybody at some point in life, and right. so that means somebody's going to need care at some point in life. You know, any one of us. So, if you if you haven't been nurturing your networks, it's a good time to start thinking about that. Um, again, this is something in the Share the Care book because it it helps to. Um, get your mind going on who you really know. You know, people say, I don't know anybody, I don't have anybody, yet they belong to clubs, they volunteer, they have neighbors, they go go to a faith community. Um, you know, also people who are far away can still do things to help you out. People you see when you're walking your dog, hey, they'd be great people to walk your dog if you couldn't wouldn't they? Because they love dogs and they do it anyway. (laughs) Um, Clubs, associations, the doorman in like New York City or or other urban areas where you live in these big apartment buildings. Um, It's starting to think, think about these people, but also at the same time nurturing them, but also it's up to us to start helping other people as well. This is a reciprocal thing that kind of like the mindset I think we all need to have if we're going to make it through with all of the changes that seem to be occurring in the healthcare world. Yes, that, as, that's um, a great point. The you know, helping out, and uh, most likely the one that you're helping could potentially help you. Maybe not, but yeah. But if, if you're willing to do it for someone, I mean, there, there, that'll demonstrate to you that someone could 
conceivably do it for you too. So, yes, and, and yes, the, the concept of reciprocal, and yes, I, I think I know where you're going with this conversation about, um, you know, the, the way we live as we, um, as we grow older and, and living in communities where we can assist each other. Well, I feel very strongly about the fact that in the future, and not distant future, in fact, it's happening already, there will mm-hmm. not be enough health professionals to take care of everybody, nor will there be enough younger people to step into the role of caregivers. I think because there are going to be so many of us who have aged to a certain point that we're going to have to be taking care of each other, and that can be a very positive thing. But we need to start changing our mindsets now so that every week we're doing a couple of hours of something to help somebody else so that it becomes a way of life as opposed to just something we do in an emergency. That would really do something amazing. Mm -hmm. And also I think maybe more with younger people, but with so much technology, it's really nice to have, especially when you need help, that personal connection, that one-on-one, that, you know, that hug from somebody that knows you and really cares about you and do more for your healing than just about anything I know. Right. And this is what you're calling um, the development of a caregiving family around you. Yeah, it's a created family. Uh, It's like a share of the care family. But let's start thinking about that as our, you know, as as a way that we operate normally. You know, it's kind of like we can become the golden girls and guys, you know. (laughs) That kind of camaraderie. In fact, I've read articles in magazines about, you know, like a group of women in a retirement village who are all friends and hang out all the time. And they they talk to one another about this subject and they say, well, we're going to help each other when something happens to one of us. So already they're creating their own little little share of the care team. Yeah. It's a good subject to talk about with your friends. It's a great idea. And uh and yes, and it and it and it gets the um the so called wheels turning about, you know, how how can everyone in this community help each other. Now, um I wanna kinda turn the attention to um you know, serious diseases that affect seniors like dementia and Alzheimer's. So how would this work, you know, this creation of a, of a share of the care family um, work with a serious illness such as dementia? Well, if someone had a family, they would have their family and the family could have a team of friends who could be trained by the family in terms of what the idiosyncrasies are of that loved one with Alzheimer's. Now, if you have a, an older person, you know, with Alzheimer's already in, a, in an advanced stage, I don't know that something like Share the Care would be the best solution because, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult disease 
and one would have to put in a lot of time. But I think if someone were developing Alzheimer's and they lived alone, they would ideally have a share the care group to help them while while they're going through the early stages and get the input and help of health professionals figure out the best place where that person could get the best kind of care they need. This is not, you know, something, it's it's not like an illness that you come in and, you know, vacuum and things like that. It's much more complicated. And that's why organizations like the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Foundation are so critical to people with that disease and their caregivers mm-hmm. because they have all the resources and have all the information that make it possible, um, you know, to to make sure these people are well taken care of. Right. Sheila, I'm, I'm going to ask you, uh, I think, a, a harder question, which, um, you know, uh, maybe you don't have the answer to it, but what what do you do for a person who is um, really very isolated and um, it's not that they're shy or they don't want you know they don't want friends, but that they just uh, you know they just don't know how to reach out um, and um, and and perhaps they may be in, incapacitated. You know they may not physically be able to, you know, um, get out there and, and socialize. So what do you recommend for or what do you suggest to people who know um, seniors in that position? Seniors who can't get out but who could use support and, and social interaction. Um, or, or well, you know, maybe they're reluctant to engage, you know, socially. And but and and yet you know they need the help because they are physically incapacitated. Well, I think it comes down to offering help and not giving up. If they say no, 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 to keep trying, to keep demonstrating in small ways, you know, things that could help them. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, like suggesting I'll go down and get the mail for you or can I get something for you at the store. Like kind of work in increments to try yeah. to get your foot in the door to help out. Um, yeah. Make suggestions, no, you know, not take it personally if you are rejected. Sometimes that yeah. can be hard. You know, you give, oh, well, that person doesn't, you know, forget about them. I'm not trying anymore. Mm, try to try to, try to, to be a little more open-minded and not give up on them right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we all know, I think, I mean, I certainly um, know people like that. And, uh, and, and, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, you have to have some compassion and, and just realize that, you know, maybe they're, it's a defense mechanism or, you know, who, who knows what it is. But, uh, but uh, yes, I agree with you that um, not giving up on them eventually cracks open the door a little bit. Well, you know, I remember an elderly neighbor I had down the hall who I ended up 
along with a couple of other women in my building, helping out occasionally. When Before she, you know, got older and was ill, she would come to my door with a baked apple and say, oh, I made baked apples today and I just wanted to give you one. You know, little stuff like that really starts the beginnings of neighborliness, you know, if that's a word, that... Mm -hmm. You know, I bake some cookies or if you're afraid of giving them food, I pick some flowers from my garden and I have these left over or, I don't know, something that puts a smile yeah. on their face. Yes, it's so true. I mean, that that, that would certainly, um, yeah, no, it would certainly warm my heart if someone did that for me. So, well, Sheila, also, thank I think you so much. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to say, I, I, I think sometimes, you know, people today who are maybe in their 80s or 90s who, who are more closed off, you got to remember they come from a different time, you know, uh, than we do where all this openness that we have exchanging ideas and talking about things out loud and, you know, uh, asking personal questions or, you know, was not done. So mm-hmm. I think maybe the coming generations of people who we've all grown up, you know, with self-help and support groups and things like that, hopefully will be more open to being help. Right. Oh, please. And, and yes, look at the age we live in and with social media and how much people reveal about themselves. It's definitely a very different generation than uh, what our parents or grandparents grew up in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, Sheila, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this very, I mean, it's a sensitive subject because I think uh, there's certainly a lot of people out there who are on their own and, and in need of assistance, and, um, and I'm hoping that... Uh, this has shed a lot of light and given a lot of people out there listening some, some very helpful ideas. Uh, I know they're uh, very helpful to me and my family. Thank you so much, Sheila. And uh, just a reminder, Sheila's website is sharethecare.org. She has been doing such wonderful things, um, educating uh, around the country about the model of Share the Care, um, bringing a group of uh, caregivers together as a family um, to help individuals with uh, long-term illnesses and um, um, the aging process. Uh, so thank you, Sheila. I look forward to having you back. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, I really, really appreciate it, and I hope everybody listening will really seriously think about putting together that folder of important information. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank our audience for tuning in and invite you to join us next Tuesday, July 8th at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for our online show, Caregiver and Physician Conversations, which is hosted by our own caregiving expert, uh, Marjorie Pabst, and she will interview Dr. Jeffrey Levine, who is a geriatrician at Mount Sinai hospital and a photographer. He's also a photographer on, he does photography on ageism and uh, opportunities for caregivers to change perception towards older adults. Thank you uh, so much for listening. And if you want to learn more about our upcoming shows, visit ecarediary.com. Under content, you'll see that we have 
uh, not only radio shows, but we have webinars and videos and uh, expert Q&A and, of course, articles to assist you with whatever you're uh, facing as a caregiver. Thank you all so much, and thank you again, Sheila. Bye-bye. Thanks.